Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. I'm your host for today, Doug, and with me are Elliot and Erica. Hi. Hi. And uh, with us, as always, is, D- is Damien, our uh, technical guy. Hello, guys. <laughs> the disembodied voice. <laughs> so today, the title of our show might have confused a few people. It has that strange word, iatrogenesis, in it. Um, just as a bit of background, we were doing our show last week about the um, WHO, World Health Organization, list of top 10 health threats. Um, and in that, we you know, agreed with some, disagreed with most, and um, made our own list of things that we thought were um, the actual threats to health. And one of them was iatrogenic deaths. And as we explained at that point... Um, Iatrogenic death basically refers to death by medicine or death by physician. Um, iatros, uh, iatrogenic, it comes from Greek, two words in Greek, iatros meaning physician and genesis meaning origin. So technically the word iatrogenic can mean anything originating from a physician, whether it be healing or side effects or death, whatever it might be. But the common use of the term is basically that um, negative effects coming from a physician, and often that is death. <laughs> so there was a, an article really, uh, that came out in 2000, was it, Elliot, was it 2016? Uh, which one? Okay. Um, <laughs> I should have had it in front of me, but basically it was one that, that uh, claimed that um, iatrogenic deaths was the third leading cause of death in uh, the U.S., and it came out a couple of years ago. I think it was 2016. Um, and sin- since then, it's been a little bit more on the radar. There's been a number of articles about it, and um, it seems to be getting more, um, uh, you know, more known. People are starting to realize that, wait a minute, there are actually really very negative consequences of the medical system as it stands right now. So we were just going to riff on that a little bit um, this week. Um, so maybe just, <clears throat> I'll give the uh, WHO um, definition of iatrogenesis. They say iatrogenesis is any noxious, unintended, and undesired effect of a drug which occurs at doses used in all in humans for prophylaxis, diagnosis, or therapy. Uh, unfortunately, this definition doesn't really include things like therapeutic failures, intentional and accidental poisoning, drug abuse, incorrect drug administration, and non-compliance. It also tends to underestimate the effect of adverse d- drug reactions and incidences such as diagnostic procedures which include mechanical and radiological procedures. Um, yeah, so in other words, it's just kind of like a, a, a not a very good uh, definition. And because it leaves so much out of its definition, um, would tend to underestimate the number of iatrogenic incidences. And kind of following on last week's topic, it's interesting to know that this... Uh, who did not include that. And that's why we included it in our list. Yeah, because exactly. it's actually not in the United States, but around the world. Yeah. In fact, just adverse drug reactions, which is kind of one subset of iatrogenic um, issues, 
um, around the world is five to eight percent of deaths worldwide, just coming from adverse drug reactions. So how about that? It's inspiring. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> I guess you just have to say that in a situation like this, when um, you have a medical system that is, that, I mean, obviously the intention is to heal, right? Um, and when you have a medical system that is causing so much pain, suffering, death, I mean, there's something very wrong with this picture, I would think. Most definitely. Yeah. And it seems that um, the reporting isn't really happening either. It's almost like uh, the opposite of see something, say something. It's yeah. like, we, especially when it comes to in the United States, uh, when people die of those complications, it's not listed on the death certificate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's So tracking is really impossible, it seems. It's highly um, problematic because you would think that, like, when you have these, um, when you have these events, you would imagine that there would be a comprehensive system which would kind of, um, which would document this, and where medical professionals, professionals in the healthcare field, would be able to effectively report on that. And while there are those kind of systems, um, th they are inherently problematic for a variety of reasons. And so um, it's estimated that only as few as five and no, as few as five percent, and no more than twenty percent of these iatrogenic events. So this can be some kind of medical error or death by medicine or, or whatever. Um, between five five percent and twenty percent are actually reported, um, and so the large majority of them go completely unrecognized, mm -hmm. and so this can be because um, apparently there's several reasons for this. So doctors apparently um, they are a lot less likely to report if they've made errors because. The way the um, medical system in the U.S. is kind of set out is that they could quite easily be sued, uh, even just for a mistake, you know. Um, and doctors, like all of us, are, are human beings, and we are all kind of fallible, and we are likely to make mistakes. And unfortunately, in the case of a doctor, if you make a, a significant mistake, then it could actually cause someone to lose their life and that's unfortunate mm. um so there is the fear that actually people are going to be sued in that respect um but then oftentimes also is that these errors aren't actually noticed so it's very difficult to differentiate between the side effect of a drug and the actual health condition or disease that someone has okay so so like for instance if someone has diabetes there are what are called diabetic complications. Someone has heart disease. There are various complications of that. And these people are more likely to suffer certain health conditions or kind of secondary to their original diagnosis. But then at the same time, if you look at many of the drugs that are used to treat these conditions, they can also cause the same side effects which can naturally manifest as part of that disease. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yes. it's like 
it's almost impossible for anyone to really be able to tell whether it's the drug that's causing the problem or whether it's just a side effect of the condition that someone already has. And now, when you have, like in a healthcare setting, you have doctors and you have nurses and you have other kind of health professionals. And if the doctors aren't likely to report it, you would hope that the nurses would report it. But the problem is, is that nurses, um, there was like a, a survey actually, and they were, it was like an um, anonymous survey kind of thing where nurses were asked to give their opinion on this. And they were actually um, scared to report um, medical errors because they were basically fearing for their job. Like they didn't want to lose their job and, you know, they thought, okay, I'm not going to report this. And now aside from that, if you look at things like vaccine induced injuries and things and other kind of medical errors, um, there are kind of there's lots of paperwork involved. Mm. Um, and sometimes doctors don't even really, they're not very well educated on exactly how you would even fill out the paperwork to mm. be able to kind of file a report like this. Um, and we've spoken about this on the on on the show before in in the context of vaccine injury, and I think that's estimated to be as low as like one to two percent of all vaccine related events are actually reported, and it's a kind of similar concept mm-hmm. in that it's kind of abstract in many ways. It's difficult to determine whether it's being caused by the treatment or whether it's actually you know something else. So they, all the all that we can be sure about is that this is probably something that is a lot more common than any statistic is going to be able to tell us. Yeah. And the thing is, like, when you consider, I mean, iatrogenic um, events are kind of like, it's kind of like an umbrella term. I mean, it could be because of like a medical error or some kind of negligence on the part of the doctor. It could be something that was a completely unexpected reaction, like somebody just doesn't react well to a medication or a procedure or something like that. Um, it could also be because of over-medication, you know, or um, interactions between drugs, those kinds of things. Um, it could just be side effects from the drug itself. I mean, sometimes, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, it's like it's actually the negative effect is is kind of like an expected an expected part of the drug itself i mean i'm thinking of something like um like vaccines you know vaccines have heavy metal constituents in them and a negative effect from that would be getting like some kind of heavy metal toxicity but it's kind of like that's not necessarily accidental in the sense that you are purposely injecting heavy metals into somebody um but, I mean, the, the, the effect obviously isn't what the person, you know, the, the doctor would want. But nonetheless, that is causing harm. So that is actually harming the person, even though it is part of the medication. I don't know if I'm making that clear or not, but um, it's kind of like, although it, it's almost like you can't really say it's an accident at that point, because it's kind of like, well, yeah, it's in there. You know, you're injecting aluminum into a baby, then it suffers from some kind of aluminum toxicity. Like, that's... Like, what did you expect? Yeah, that makes it's concerning. Sense. It's concerning, too, because a lot of times uh, I know in the U.S. and even with people in my own family, they're on multiple yeah. medications. Yeah. 
And so a lot of, and you know, you see those ads here, you can see them on TV in the US, but of all the side effects, and it's, it's almost like, is the drug doing anything other than producing nasty side effects? Yeah. I think of things like, you know, restless leg syndrome or things that, you know, might not have been a medical condition 25 years ago, but now all of a sudden you're taking this medication. And my joke is always, well, you start bleeding from your eyeballs. Well, I don't know. I would rather have restless leg syndrome than for bleeding from my eyeballs. But because the doctor's in a code and they're saying this is what you need and people don't ask questions and they're in pain or they're not feeling well, then they go ahead and take it and then they deal with all these side effects. Yeah. Yeah. And the the problem is with these drugs is that, yes, you have their established toxicity, you have their established side effects, but when you introduce other extremely toxic drugs or extremely kind of volatile chemical substances into that mix, um, specifically in the context of outpatient care. So when someone has been, say they've been to stay at a hospital or whatever, and um, they're discharged and they're given certain medications, and let's say that they're seeing lots of different specialists. They might be seeing an endocrinologist. They might be seeing a gastroenterologist, a neurologist. You know, they're being passed between these specialists. And sometimes the communication between the different kind of doctors or consultants is not the best. And that actually people are being placed on various different medications for each kind of compartmentalized health problem that they have but that these medications are actually contraindicated Mm. so it means that they're not compatible with one another and that they can actually increase the risk of they can have negative reactions when they're mixed together and the 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 um how common this is is quite surprising i mean there's one statistic that said between 20 and 30% of patients receive care which is contraindicated, which means that they're basically being prescribed different types of medications which aren't compatible with one another and which have kind of been established that you should not take these drugs together because these can cause you real problems. Um, but because of this kind of lack of communication and whatnot, that they're actually being placed on like a dangerous cocktail of drugs, um, which is potentially gonna gonna have dire consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was um, there's a a guy named Ivan Illich. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. And he wrote something called Medical Nemesis, and he divides up iatrogenic uh, deaths um, into the direct and inter- indirect um, or sorry, no, he talks about he ta- sorry, I'm reading the wrong part here, but he, he talks about um, how there's iatrogenesis, which is direct like, you know, the medical errors and those sorts of things, um, but then he also talks about social iatrogenesis which results from the med- medicalization of life and cultural medicalization is the destruction of traditional ways of dealing with and making sense of death, pain, and sickness. So he, he, like, he's kind of just talking about like social iatrogenesis, where it's kind of like the, 
um, like our culture in and of itself is causing these problems. And one of the examples that I can think of in, in, as far as this is concerned is um, antibiotic resistance. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. yes, it's causing individual deaths, but it's also causing like a, a larger scale societal problem where you, you suddenly have all these superbugs kind of floating around. And that was caused by, yes, individual doctors may be overprescribing antibiotics, but just the social reliance on these uh, antibiotics as well. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like it, it's kind of like on a, on a, a higher scale of things. Um, you could maybe even argue that you know the opioid crisis and those sorts of things are also kind of um, on this social scale of iatrogenesis. Kind of not the individual doctors who are, who are doing it necessarily, but kind of, uh, I mean, you could say big pharma or you know um, government regulations. Those sorts of things are causing causing these problems as well. Yeah, well, it's become so normal um, to to rely on pharmaceutical medications, um, essentially try to eradicate all of human. Um, yeah. When, when oftentimes, and I think it was Sayaji, he he's spoken about this a lot, you know, on Green Med Info. A lot of times what we do is, is or what seems to have done is medicine is, is we will kind of categorize various symptoms as these monolithic health conditions almost. Mm. Um, we'll put names on them, but essentially they're, they're, they're um, very often related to underlying manifestations of chronic nutrient deficiencies, of toxicities, of chronic stress you know and it's like um what 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 big farmer has done is essentially tried to create a pill for every ill mm-hmm. and even the things which aren't necessarily even diseases it's like you know you have a headache maybe you need to drink a glass of water like something as simple as that or maybe you just need to have an early night you know maybe you need to go outside instead what they'll do is they'll give you a pill for that Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, because we have really accepted this as a population, you know, as a collective, we've kind of gone with this idea that you can micromanage the human body by taking essentially industrial chemicals, which were <laughs> produced in a lab. Um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I'm not sure the point that I was going to make with that. It's pretty insane. Nonetheless. Yeah, 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 yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it seems like more and more people are turning to alternatives, especially with this these numbers. I mean, it's anywhere from what 250,000 people a year in the US, and they're saying that that's a conservative estimate that people are dying from these hydrogenic issues and uh, so I think what happens is people start to get in a sense, desperate, especially when they've seen all the different specialists and nothing works for them. And so they go to a chiropractor, they go to a naturopath, or, you know, they seek out some alternative form of healing. And, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, that was kind of quote unquote kooky, right? Oh, you know, why are you going to do that quackery? But it seems to be growing in popularity because of this issue, because now people are seeing, 
that these things are questionable. And, and I think all of us know somebody who has experienced medical intervention that turned out terribly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, probably the most egregious one I would say is probably the, the vaccine thing. Like there's just, mm -hmm. there's so much that can actually go wrong there. And the fact that it's just questionable whether they're actually doing it, what they're supposed to be doing at all. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. that's, it's kind of like a perfect example to, to illustrate the times that we're in right now. The, this, like a medical system that's supposed to be healing, that's supposed to be helping people. And it's just causing harm, nothing but harm and death. I think another one too is the whole um, antidepressant market Absolutely. and you know uh, depression and issues, mental health issues, and the medication that has the side effects of suicidality and yeah. all these concerns. Drugging children is a huge one, you know, um, when these types of medications have never been tested on children. And yeah. then kind of dealing with the fallout later. I mean, I think just the rate of children that are now committing suicide that are on these medications is a huge cause of alarm. Yeah. It's, it seems that they will stoop to any low um, in order to increase profits and to, to maintain a continual flow of income, mm -hmm. you know, and this is, this can be seen with kind of the the amount of money that they invest in um, lobbying doctors. Essentially, you know, they they put on international events, um, training doctors in their protocols, trying to convince them to use these drugs. They, you know, spend copious amounts of money on gifts and providing like lavish you know, kind of events and things for these for these doctors to go to. They buy them holidays, buy them cars and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. um, in exchange for, you know, in an attempt to try to get the doctors on board to say, hey, you know, you need to start using these, these drugs. Um, and kind of, I think it's very tempting for many doctors. And um, there's there's... This doesn't only seem to be um, related to the types of drugs that, that doctors are using because I think it does play a critical role. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've been given a gift by some pharma company who's trying to sell some new cholesterol-lowering drug, then you're probably going to be more likely to do that, especially if you make a nice profit off that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but even, like, hospitalization... I mean, looking at some of the statistics of unnecessary hospitalization is just absolutely staggering. So um, in 2003, the number of people who were, who were basically put in hospital unnecessarily was 9 million in the US. <sighs> and it makes you think, like, how did it get to a point where, okay, this person gets sick, or they might be experiencing some symptoms and then they go to the hospital and it's like, who makes the decision 
okay, you need to take your bed, we need to put you in this hospital, blah, 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 blah. Because, I mean, if anyone's seen, I mean, I don't personally live in the US, but I've seen some of the fines that that, that like, can, can rack up. Like, a couple of days in a US hospital, if you yeah. don't have insurance, then, I mean, you could be talking $100,000. Yeah. Just for a couple of days, like, with all the equipment and everything. So it's like, it makes you wonder, there's... Definitely a financial incentive going on there, you know, and, 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 um, yeah, so, so 9 million people in the U.S. unnecessarily hospi- hospitalized. The number of unnecessary medical and surgical procedures performed annually is 7.5 million. <laughs> so they're putting people under surgery when they don't even need to. And it's like, why on earth is this happening? It, you know, Again, for me, I think it probably does come back to like a financial incentive going on there, but it just seems mm-hmm. bizarre how they can get away with this. Yeah. Um, and then to charge so much as, as they do. We've spoken about antibiotics, but it seems that antibiotic use, um, and they're trying to curb this trend, but f- for a very long time, they've been treating people kind of prophylactically with antibiotics, even if they don't have a bacterial infection. So, for instance, like we know now, looking at the research, chronic antibiotic use or even just um, an acute kind of round of antibiotics, a short round of antibiotics, if you get someone who's particularly sensitive, like with regards to the fluoroquinolone antibiotics, that can like destroy their life. You know, we know from the, the research on the microbiome that um unnecessary use of antibiotics chronic antibiotic use in childhood can completely destroy like the gut microbes and the whole balance of bacteria living in the human body and it's been associated with all kinds of um detrimental effects and so the way that it's been working in the past is actually if someone comes down with a virus and this is the same in the UK as well. If someone has a virus, what they will do is they will treat people with antibiotics. And it's like, okay, antibiotics do not work for viruses. Like, they have no known action on a virus. So why would they be doing that? And the justification in the past has been that it might prevent a future bacterial infection as a side effect of the virus. And it's just like... I know that they're trying to curb that now, but... Well, I I think um, <clears throat> one of the other reasons I think that, uh, like, uh, the reason, like, on the ground when um, doctors are dealing with patients, <clears throat> a lot of times they were giving them um, antibiotics when they were completely unnecessary and uncalled for just to shut the patients up and get them to go home, you know, to be able to just kind of give them a pill, um, you know, so, oh, oh, you've got this going on, it's a viral infection, I'll just give you this pill, even though it's not going to do anything, well... It's it's going to have really negative consequences overall, but like you know, it's it's kind of the doctor's way of getting them to shut up and go home, when really because all they really need is like you know some bed rest and uh, just kind of get over this uh, this virus. I mean, one of the things there was um there was a study that uh, that you had found actually, Elliot, um, called Iatrogenesis: A Review on Nature, Extent, and Distribution of Health Healthcare Hazards. Um, and one of the things that they were kind of lamenting in that article was the commercialization of medicine. And um, 
I think like because we're at a point now where so much of this healthcare stuff is actually aimed at the end consumer, the end person. So like especially in the US where they have pharmaceutical ads running on television and it's like it's it's like the it, it's a way for the pharmaceutical companies to sell more of their medication. They've realized if they target that end user, so rather than just going to doctors with, you know, like sexy pharmaceutical reps, giving them gifts and things like that, they're also targeting these end, the end user themselves. So, you know, the, the person sees a, a drug commercial on TV and sees them like all happy and skipping through the, the fields and says, well, I want that drug. So it's like the, the doctor is kind of just like, a, you know, a, a, pill dispenser at that point they just go in and say to the doctor i want this drug and the doctor in many cases is going to be like well okay i can get rid of this person if i just give them this pill so i mean it's kind of like just from the bottom up the entire system the way it works right now is just asking for these iatrogenic events like asking for negative side effects um and not necessarily just to the the individual person, like you know the example with the uh, antibiotic resistance. It's kind of like that has society wide implications, and it's just it, it's just so backward. It would be interesting. I mean, I know it's never going to happen, but if when patients came and asked doctors for a pill, that they just gave them a placebo, you know, like a sugar pill, and yeah. said. Uh, kind of like what we did our placebo show, like just give them a bottle that looks like it's a medication and have the patient take it and then kind of chart the statistics on that. How many people got better, you know, I mean, I know it will never happen, but it's, it's something to consider because it's almost like uh, people want a quick remedy as Elliot was saying, or something fast and easy and, uh, maybe that would be an alternative to to get that fast and easy fix and, and not get the side effects as a result. Well, ironically, that would probably be considered unethical, but <laughs> in reality, yeah. it's way more ethical to do that than to give them an antibiotic or a drug, some exactly. kind of drug that they don't actually need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have a uh, video clip that maybe we could play. And this is a, um, it's called Death by Doctor. It's kind of a five minute uh, of cl clip. And I actually, unfortunately, forget the name of the doctor that's in it. Um, but maybe we could get that, um, get that playing, Damien. Doctor, you you hit on uh, the third leading cause of death in the United States, yeah. and I'm sure most of us could figure it's either heart-related or cancer or uh, uh, diabetes, things like that. Can you clue us into what that is and why? Uh, yeah, okay, and thank you for asking that because this is the 10,000-pound gorilla <laughs> in the room that nobody's talking about. The third leading cause of death, as published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, is MD-directed treatments. This means you go to a medical doctor, an MD, he gives you a treatment and you die from it. According to the United States Department of Health and Human Services, 15,000, 15,000 Medicare patients a month are killed by MD treatment and nobody goes to jail. A handful of terrorists fly two planes into the <coughs> Twin Towers. 3,500 people die and we go to war. 
but 15,000 people a month are killed by medical doctor treatments, and we don't bat an eyelash. This is because we have been, I don't want to say brainwashed, that's not the correct term, but we have been, for the last hundred years, um, kind of led into this false belief, you know, I think it was Marcus Welby that started it, that the medical doctor is king and knows everything about everything. And really, you need to just shut up and follow your medical doctor's advice. Most people in the United States have no idea at all of the history of the evolution of medicine in the United States. In the early 1900s, it was a relatively level playing field between the chiropractors, the osteopaths, the homeopaths, and the MDs. In 1915, 1920, there was something called the Flexner Report. The Carnegie Corporation funded this man named Abraham Flexner. He went all around the country, and he went on stagecoach and train and horseback. This was before the interstate highway system, right? took Flexner five years to do this. He went all around the country and did an inventory of all of the medical schools that prescribed drugs. He brought the list back to the Carnegie's, who owned drug companies, and then the Carnegie's and the Rockefeller's gave millions of dollars of free money to the medical schools and hospitals in the United States that were prescribing drugs. That was the beginning of the end. After the Flexner report, there was no more level playing field in the United States. And the MDs started a juggernaut that's taken off. Most people in the United States think that the predominant medicine here, MD-directed pharmaceutical medicine, we think that those guys are top dog because their therapeutics are better than the homeopaths or the naturopaths or the chiropractors. It's not. They're in the driver's seat because of political and financial coalitions that were built at the turn of the century that most people have no idea of at all. And it's a gigantic problem. And I, I mean, it's crazy, right? It's the third leading cause of death. And yet, when the government makes noise about messing with people's insurance, everybody freaks out. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other thing to talk about, isn't it? Because what is medical insurance? When you buy medical insurance, what are you doing? You're betting that you're going to get so sick, you will not be able to afford it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Right. And then, so you pay good money every month to gain access to a system of medicine that's the third leading cause of death in the United States. We need our heads examined, quite frankly. That's why we give, Dr. Wallach and myself collectively, we give 400 free lectures a year. And we're building a grassroots network because people don't know this. I mean, people, I come to my lectures and they look at me and say, couch potatoes live longer, medical doctors are the third leading cause of death. You know, what's going on here? We're, mm -hmm. like, we're like the people, uh, you know, in Galileo's time saying, hey, everybody, you know, it's the sun that's at the center of the solar system, not the earth. Well, hey, everybody, the earth is round, it's not flat. Or, hey, everybody, slavery's a bad thing. Right? This is a, uh, we're, we have a social agenda here. Why do we have a social agenda? Because people are suffering needlessly. You wouldn't believe, as God is my witness, you would not believe the things that I've seen people recover from in holistic medicine. It's, the body's ability to fix itself is remarkable. And most of the mm -hmm. time, all that the body needs to do that
is the raw materials that it needs to do that. And we need to stop eating food that's hurting the body. You know, if you put diesel fuel in an unleaded engine, even if it's a brand new Ferrari, it's going to run like crap if it runs at all. And there's nothing wrong with the car. It just had the wrong fuel. Mm. It's the same with the human body. You give the human body the raw materials that it needs, clean up the diet, Superman, Superwoman. And, you know, if you don't get to super status, then at least your blood pressure normalizes, at least your arthritis goes away, mm -hmm. at least your anxiety and panic attacks go away, and you can sleep through the night. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. I think he makes um, some very good points. Um, especially when it comes to kind of the... Um, when he was talking about the insurance thing, and it's like everybody is just paying into have access to the third, the number three killer um, in the United <coughs> States. It's, um, it's kind of insane when you look at it that way. And it's like every single time you get in, involved in the, in the mainstream medical system, you are taking a risk, and a pretty big risk at that. I, I think when he mentioned the part about not being brainwashed or brainwashing, mm. I, I tend to think it, it, there is some of that involved as well. So I know I'm the only one here in the United States, but when you realize that there's so much fear around not having medical insurance and mm -hmm. you actually share that with people, well, what if something happens to you? You know, what are you going to do? It's, it, it's a lot of fear driven protection and, you know, I think he's right. Like it's, it's scary in a sense, but also I would rather take that chance than end up one of these statistics mm -hmm. where you get the wrong intervention or you get, you know, a hospital acquired infection or you get a bad combination of drugs because they didn't do the research and see that you have allergies to certain things. You know, it is a gamble. And for some people, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there was an interesting article on um, Mercola.com a while back. It was back in 2017, um, where they were talking about this, um, th the fact that uh, medical, medical mistakes are the third leading cause of death. And um, some of the things that they were talking about were actually pretty shocking. Um, he had a whole list of 25 different things that can um, um, that can go wrong, essentially, that can cause these I iatrogenic events. Um, one was pharmacy mix-ups. So apparently 30 million prescriptions per year are improperly dispensed, whether it just be like giving somebody the wrong drug or giving the wrong person the, the drug for somebody else or <clears throat> any number of different um, things. Um, incorrect drug dosage. So you can end up overdosing somebody. I think that can be, like you were mentioning earlier, Erica, the, the um, giving a dosage uh, to a child. Uh, sometimes those dosages aren't figured out right or the, they end up getting the adult dosage or something like that. This one was interesting. Toxic transplants. Apparently it's quite common, and I didn't realize this, that the donor is carrying a pathogen of some kind so that when the, um, the donee gets the um, the transplant, they actually get that pathogenic infection. Um, there was something, 
that was called Surgical Souvenirs. And that's when, I mean, we've all heard these, uh, well, I thought they were urban legends at one point, but um, apparently it's not entirely uncommon for instruments to be left inside the patient after they're sewn up from surgery. And it's estimated that that happens two out of every 10,000 surgeries. Two out of every 10,000, you end up with like, you know, a scalpel left in you or something like that. Um, Misdiagnosis. Um, apparently can happen in about 10% of cases. Um, mislabeled lab specimens, that apparently can happen in about one in a thousand cases. Um, there was another one that was actually, I had never heard of before that, that kind of blew my mind, metal in an MRI room. And apparently I started looking it up and I found at least three cases where an oxygen tank, a metal oxygen tank was in the room or brought into the room during an MRI, and MRIs are like um, really strong magnets, and the oxygen tank, so it just like sucks the oxygen tank like into the into the machine of the mag- magnet, and people get injured. There was one case where a boy actually died um, because the oxygen tank hit him in the head. Um, also, uh, excessive wait times in uh, in the ER. So in an emergency situation, you go to the hospital and you just you, you have to wait and the, the person ends up dying. So I thought that those were all um, kind of interesting examples, just aside from kind of, you know, pharmaceutical drugs and all the, the complications that can go on from there. I know you were speaking before the show about the whole idea of mitochondria, and I know that... Uh, Elliot, you know a little bit more of this, mm. but uh, these subtle effects on the body that, that maybe aren't shared in these kinds of articles that we've been reading or, um, you know, essentially people, healthy people that end up acquiring lifelong illnesses as a result of seeking out medical attention. Yeah, um, so... Many of the drugs which are prescribed, um, such as, um, I think all degree, most drugs that have been studied um, seem to have an effect on some of the, the substances, the vitamins and the minerals which our cells use to make energy. And so they can have somewhat of a depleting effect. Um, And this kind of, when taken long term, it can really deplete the body and and kind of stop the body from being able to make energy. And this can be organ specific as well. And so when you have failure to make energy in the heart, you develop something wrong with the heart. It can be congestive heart failure it can be a heart attack it can be kind of hypertrophy of the heart muscles so and actually an enlarged heart in the brain it can be um progressive dementia you know alzheimer's some kind of autoimmune condition in the brain because essentially you know you need energy um and so that is a well kind of established effect of standard medications but when you start looking at some of the kind of very acutely toxic um components of 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 
certain medications. You have certain medications which contain aluminium, for instance. I mean, there are vaccines which have aluminium as an adjuvant and mercury in the form of thimerosal and kind of formaldehyde and all of these kind of well-established neurotoxic components. Um, what they can actually do is they can damage... Um, the the way that our cells are making energy is this portion of the this part of the cell it's called the mitochondria and they can actually get in there and directly damage many of the kind of pieces of machinery that we're using to make energy and the the problems there is that not only can they damage individual mitochondria but they can actual actually damage mitochondrial DNA as well um, and so. Dr. Circus talks about this in, in one of his articles, talking about how vaccines actually can induce what is, what is called mitochondrial disease. And this was once thought to be um, a, a heritable condition. So um, mitochondrial diseases are thought to be thought that you're born with them and that sometimes they can show up early on in life other times they can show up later on in life and they are treated in a very specific way and it was kind of once thought that this was this was merely a genetic thing um but actually it seems that over the last couple of decades um these neurotoxic components there seems to be a very clear link between children getting these vaccines such as the mmr which we've spoken about multiple times before on this show um these these vaccines actually whether it's causing it directly like what they call mitochondrial disease or whether it's kind of just like activating something that was maybe um underlying in the surface but wasn't necessarily manifest Whatever it's doing, it's, there seems to be a clear link between kind of having this big dose of poison <laughs> pumped into your, um, you know, past your skin barrier uh, when your body doesn't really have any defense against it um, and and actually destroying the way that, that children can, can effectively make energy. And it's kind of, it's potentially one of the links between all the kind of neuro um neurodevelopmental delays and autism and kind of amyotropic lateral sclerosis and all of these kinds of things which are kind of well established effects of vaccines yeah well in um <clears throat> the activist post article that Damien had po uh, pulled up a, a, just a second ago they actually have a list of all the different um, pharmaceutical drugs that are known to um, to cause mitochondrial damage, and I won't read the whole list because it's quite long. But just to give you like kind of the the topic headings: so alcoholism drugs, uh, uh, Alzheimer's drugs, analgesics and anti-inflammatories, um, angina medications, antiarrhythmic. Antibiotics, antidepressants, antipsychotics, anxiety medications, barbiturates, uh, cholesterol-lowering medications, including all statins, um, cancer drugs, diabetes medications, HIV medications, epilepsy and seizure medications, mood stabilizers, Parkinson's disease medications, and vaccine ingredients. 
So, like, that's quite a list um, of medications that are causing this mitochondrial dysfunction or mitochondrial disease. Um, and I mean, I mean, we can't know for sure, but before kind of the rise of pharmaceutical medications, was mitochondrial disease ever a thing? I mean, obviously, if you go back far enough, they didn't know what mitochondria were. But when you think about what these, um, this dysfunctional mitochondria, actually the way it manifests, these weren't things that you were really hearing about, you know, way back in the day. And that's not to say that, that it's solely due to uh, pharmaceutical interventions, but um, it kind of seems like these are all modern diseases. And um, just the fact that we live in this drugged culture, essentially, when like you've got a list of drugs like that, that, you know, I'm sure all of us know somebody who's on one of those drugs and they're, they're get very basically undergoing this mitochondrial dysfunction. And that's not disclosed in the list of side effects. No. You know, by the way, this can cause damage to your mitochondria, especially again with children that are growing and changing and developing their immune system. I mean, yeah. some of the things on that list, it's, it's scary. Do we have any um, pos- positive solutions or things <laughs> that people can do? Or well, yeah, I mean, within that Mercola article I, I was talking about before, he does um, kind of give uh, you know little things that you can do to try and um, well, some of them not so little, but I mean, a lot of them kind of come down to uh, paying attention uh, when you are at a doctor. Um, or in a hospital or something like that, if you can have an advocate with you, um, especially if you're going to be going under like anesthesia or something like that, somebody there who understands what your um, what you want, what your best best interests are, um, just to try and and minimize, um, you know, getting exposed or getting you know injected with anything you're not supposed to or something. You know, somebody who knows your blood type. Apparently, mis- mistakes of mistakes of uh, blood type can can be you know, relatively common. I don't know. You, you need to, you need to kind of like, not that you necessarily need to go out and get a medical degree or anything like that, but just kind of like maybe do a little research when you're prescribed a medication or something. It's like, what does this actually do? What are the side effects? Where are the possibilities for things going wrong? Oh, informed consent too. We see that a lot with vaccines, you know, just, the parent asking those hard questions, can I get the insert? So when when they consent to something, they're not kind of blindly going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Try and be as annoying as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ask as many questions as you can. Um, because, again... Human beings make mistakes, you know, and and there's a good chance that, um, I mean, looking at some of the statistics, it was saying that, you know, in two years, if someone had been to the hospital a couple times, the chances are that there was a mistake at some level of that kind of procedure of them being charged in the hospital, staying, being given kind of medication, food, 
and then being discharged and the whole kind of process i think the error rate is about um I can't remember the percentage, but it's quite high. So mm. there's a chance that even though it might have been a very minor error that had no kind of negative consequences, there's a chance that it could be quite a serious error. So you just need to make sure that that error doesn't happen to you. And so you just mm-hmm. keep trying to ask, ask questions, clarify that if you are having a medication, if you are having some kind of an injection or drip or whatever kind of clarifying that that is exactly what you're meant to be having you know if you can ask why you're meant to be having it if you can look at the side effects kind of you know if there's a black box warning label and stuff then you know are there any safer alternatives that you could potentially get hold of or that you know maybe it might not be from a medical doctor maybe it would be from a naturopathic doctor maybe there are kind of you know for instance if you're a diabetic, you can be prescribed metformin. That does have its side effects, whereas actually if you were to go to a naturopathic doctor, they might prescribe you berberine. And that's technically the same chemical, you know, it has a very similar biochemical effects, but without many of the side effects of metformin. Mm-hmm. And it can't be patented by pharmaceutical companies, so they don't recommend it. Right. But in the research, it has just as good, if not better, effects. Um, and so understand that actually in nature there are many natural compounds which can have the effect of certain drugs of certain pharmaceuticals but without those side effects and so if you do need to take a drug maybe there is actually a a more you know a safer alternative Mm -hmm. and i think another thing that you can do is just try and keep yourself healthy enough to not need to go in for medical procedures I mean, that's obviously much, much easier said than done. Um, all kinds of things can happen. Um, tragedies happen. Um, but, you know, doing your best to kind of like, you know, eat a, a good diet and uh, get the exercise you need to get, all that kind of stuff, just like lifestyle factors that you can, you can um, do to make sure that you're not prematurely ending up in the hospital or something because... I think the less you go to the doctor in the hospital, it's the better at this at this point in our human society. <laughs> well, and it's almost like that doctor was talking about in the video, like getting back to that level playing field where um, you have those options of going to a chiropractor, a naturopath. And, and, and I know in the U.S. we're seeing this a little bit with um, – different insurance companies now recognizing that massage is a healing modality or homeopathy is a healing modality and um, using the internet to see what other options are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it's not completely hopeless. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, great comic (laughs) well do you guys have anything else you wanted to add about iatrogenic events not particularly well I guess that is our show for this week Um, thanks everybody for joining us don't forget to like and subscribe down below 
Um, and you can join us. We'll have another show next week. Um, until then, stay healthy. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.